Can you imagine what life would be like if we never died? Can you imagine that? There'd be no cemeteries, no hospitals, no medical insurance, or flu shots. There'd be no more worrying when children were out late. There'd be no more war, no more starving children. Oh, how great that would be. Even more, there would be so many opportunities if we never die. For instance, when doing a report on Abraham Lincoln, one could simply call him up and ask him. And of course he'd answer you because he's going to live forever. He has time on his side. It'd be marvelous if we never die. In our reading from Revelation 21, we are... We are called to imagine such a day. We are told about such a day. For on the last day, God will create a new world where there will be, as verse 4 tells us, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Death has died on that day. This will be a great and glorious and happy day. Can you imagine? This past week, I was visiting a member of the congregation who is sick, and she's terminally ill. And so when I visit her, we, we talk about the resurrection. We talk about matters of faith. Bring her the Lord's Supper. And so I share with her this passage, which I've shared with her many times. And as I spoke about these words, this woman who has such a, a quick wit about her said, Pastor, I know why you like these words so much. I said, well, please, tell me why. She said, well, as I see it, on that new day, since there will be no more funerals, you'll be out of a job. <laughs> I told her, you found me out. But then I said, haven't you heard pastors only work on Sundays anyway? She smiled. Can you imagine what life would be like if we did not die? Now, what's important for us to understand is where this is located in the Bible, these words about a new day. They're located at the very end, Revelation 21. And this is important because when you're reading, especially through the Bible or even just through Revelation, you realize that there are things that God must do, that God has to take care of before this new day can begin. God has to destroy the things in this world that oppose his will. Destroy the things in this world that oppose him. Destroy the things in the world that bring death, pain, and suffering upon us. And so when you're reading through the book of Revelation, you realize that God has to destroy the harlot. And God, you know who this harlot is. The harlot's the one who turns people into commodities. The harlot is the source of slavery. She's the source of addiction. She lures and entraps. Before the new day can occur, God must destroy the harlot. And that's why in Revelation 19, we hear these words. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute, the harlot, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! 
The smoke from her goes up forever and ever, which means a complete destruction. Now, what's interesting to note, the word hallelujah does not occur in the New Testament at all until chapter 19. First place. It's hallelujah. Why? Because that great harlot is gone. Hallelujah. And then a few verses later, I say, hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. I mean, this is a reason to, to praise God. Before the new day can come, God must destroy the harlot. Second, before the new day comes, God must destroy Satan, that great deceiver. The one who dominates the nations and oppresses God's faithful people. Before the new day comes, God must destroy Satan. Well, let's read Revelation 20.10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beasts and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Again, complete destruction before that new day can come. Well, there's a third enemy that God must destroy. Not only the harlot, not only Satan, but that third enemy, that third foe, that foe that has a sting that is so deep that has touched all of us deeply and will eventually kill us, and that is the enemy of death. Death must be destroyed. Well, Revelation 20, 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second. Before the new day comes, before that great and glorious day, before that day when there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, the enemies that oppose God, the enemies that hurt us and oppress God's people and entrap God's people must be destroyed. And the good news is that God will destroy them. The harlot, the devil, and death itself. Martin Luther, when thinking about these words um, and thinking about Christ's victory over death, said this, wrote these words, Dear death, now you boast and mock in this world, but the tables will be turned. Then we shall be avenged on them, and we shall defy you and mock you, saying, What can you do to me now? That's what we're celebrating on All Saints Day. Yes, we're celebrating the, the saints who've gone before. Yes, we're celebrating that, that we are saints in Christ Jesus. But what we're celebrating is that the saints win, not the football team. <laughs> but that the saints win because Christ wins, because God wins, because God conquers the grave. And it's so fitting that All Saints Day comes after Halloween, right? Because Halloween, the day of the dead, ooh. <laughs> right? But All Saints Day, the dead rise and are victorious. That's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that those who've gone before us, who we love dearly, who we miss, we will see again in Christ Jesus. I mean, on this day, I, I, I woke up and the first thing I thought of for some reason was Sam Vesey. I miss him. I, I love him. I love his advice. I can't wait to see him again. 
And I really wanted to see him today because USC got destroyed yesterday. <laughs> and I wanted to stick it to him. <laughs> We're victorious in Christ. And as that song, that hymn we just sang, but then there breaks a yet more glorious day, the saints triumphant rise in bright array, the king of glory passes on his way, hallelujah, hallelujah. God wins. We're united to Christ, we win. All saints' day is our day. A good day. Because God will win. But it's that little word, will, that causes us so much trouble, doesn't it? We know God's going to win. He will win. He will put an end to those things. But that means he hasn't quite yet. That means we wait on the other side of the resurrection, waiting for that new day. And while we wait, we so often wonder, God, why does it take so long? God, why do we have to, have to suffer so much? Christ already won. Why can't you just take the suffering away from us? Why won't you bring it all to an end? Nicholas Wolterstorff, who lost his son at age 25 to a mountain climbing accident, asked this very question. He said, Oh God, how is faith to endure when you allow all this scraping and tearing on us? You've allowed rivers of blood to flow, mountains of suffering to pile up, sobs to become humanity's song, all without lifting a finger that we could see. You've allowed bonds of love beyond number to be painfully snapped. If you've not abandoned us, explain yourself. Right? Those are real words of a person who has faith. He's a real believer. He knows of the resurrection, and yet he hurts this side of it because of that will, because life is hard, because there's suffering, because when someone dies, it rips us apart. Why, God, won't you finish it now? Why won't you heal us now? Why won't you fix it? Wasn't that exactly what Martha was asking of Jesus? Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, why didn't you come earlier? And even now, Jesus, why won't you raise him? And Jesus says, well, he will be raised. And she goes, no, not on the last day. I'm talking about now. Now, Lord, is there a word for me? Now is there any hope? And then Jesus, of course, says, I'm the resurrection of life. That's the hope, even now, that we can begin to live. But that question of of why is so difficult for us. Why won't you fix it now? When I was a new believer, I experienced uh, the death of my friend in a car accident. I was 16, and for 16-year-olds, and for any age is difficult, for 16-year-olds is difficult because he's a peer, and you seem so invincible. But then when someone your own age dies, it's frightening. And even worse for me, he died in a car accident coming home from a church youth group. It was his 16th birthday. His parents let him drive to a youth group and back, and that's it. And he veered off and got in a car accident. So I asked my pastor this, why? 
I mean, he was doing the right thing. He was coming home from youth group. Why? My pastor was quiet for a little while. Then he said, I don't know, which surprised me because I thought pastors were supposed to know. But then he said, this is what I do know. He said, death is painful. First and foremost, it's painful. Are you hurting? You should be hurting. It's okay to hurt. He said, it's not just painful for us, it's painful for God. He said, Jesus wept when Lazarus died. God suffers with us. God weeps with us. God hurts. On that new day, it's not only a new day for us, it's a new day for God. As those things are put away, God no longer has to suffer. Second, my pastor told me, even though God did not stop the car accident, he said, God did deal with death, and God has fixed death. He said to me, Russ, he goes, this is why we have the cross. To remind us that when we sit there, we don't know why God didn't act. We know where God did act. And in the act of the cross is a place where God fixes everything. And he fixes the world, and he fixes the fact that we will die, but we will be raised from the dead. On the cross... Christ did, and him resurrecting from the, the grave. That's God fixing it. He said, remember that. But then he said these final words. He said, but we still hurt, right? He says, we will still hurt. He said, what God does for that is he comforts us. He comforts us with, with his word. Words that are meant to give hope. Words such as Revelation 21. And I want to read them again to you because these are words of comfort. Verses 5 and 6. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give... To him drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and will be, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Or words that we read from Isaiah 65, which are such beautiful words of hope. Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever, for I will create for what I will create. I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. And then these words right here. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not live out his years. Words of hope to hold on to when, when everything's falling apart. God has given us his word to, to comfort us in difficult times. And, and I know you're here because you've been comforted by God's word throughout your life, through those hardest times. But God gives us more than his word to comfort us. My pastor went on to say, he gives us the sacrament to comfort us. 
And when we, we, we can't, when we don't think that God's with us, we can come to the rail and receive him into our hands, into our very selves, as he's present this meal. Comfort us to point to that new day. And yet God does more than that. He gives us not just a sacrament. He gives us each other, a church, to gather together to, to send cards when you're sick or to visit the hospital or to call on the phone or to pray for, to say hi to. God gives us the church, other believers, to comfort each other as we wait that new day. There's a pastor named Craig Barnes who delivered a funeral sermon for a friend who lost a child. And he said this. These were his words. He said, On this day in which we are mourning the loss of this child, let us not compound the tragedy by also losing our faith. How many times now have we stood in church to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Why do we say these words Sunday after Sunday? <coughs> to prepare us for days like today. For years and years we've gathered into this church to affirm our belief because we knew the day would come when faith was the only thing that could get us through. Why do things happen? Don't know. But God has fixed it on the cross. Christ feels pain with us as he wept. God has given us his word, the sacrament, each other, to bring comfort to each other when we're in those difficult spots. Reformation, oh reformation, oh reformation. Today is All Saints Day. The day that we celebrate that we will win, that we are victorious in Christ. Remember the victory that is yours in Christ. Remember that God has a new day for each of us, a better day. But as we wait, pick up God's word. Listen to it, meditate on it. Come to the table. Receive God into your hands, into your very selves. And comfort each other. Love each other. Drink coffee together. And cheer when USC loses. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> All of this. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. <laughs>